Hey, y'all. I think I've got a bit of a problem here. I'm looking at my show notes, and I think I've been attacked by some mischievous elves. Because I'm looking at my notes, and they say, and I quote, We can be thankful for temptation, but that can't be right, right? Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I want us to think about temptation. And not just what it is, but how it can serve a purpose in our lives, and maybe, in some weird way, we can even be thankful for it. Now, when we are thinking about temptation, or the typical Christian view of temptation, is for the most part that we hate it. And that's good. For anything else I'm going to say in this episode, don't let me come across as saying that temptation is necessarily a good thing that we should go pursue. As Christians, we should hate temptation because ultimately temptation is going to pull us away from Christ. It's going to bring us towards sin, which is necessarily in the opposite direction of our Savior. Uh, Temptation is often when we are seeking our own desires and trying to find the things that will make us happy. It is something that the world very much encourages. So whatever our temptation is, for the most part, even if the world may frown on a particular temptation, the worldview or the mentality of just do what makes you feel good, do what makes you happy, is very much encouraged by the world. But we also know that on the flip side of that, God is going to condemn the things that are tempting us. He does not want us to give in to temptation, to pursue our desires and things like that. And as a result, because temptation is kind of a bad thing, we very often dread it. We worry, we are bothered by the idea that sometime in the future, whether five minutes from now, whether tomorrow, a temptation is going to come up. Maybe it's a new one, maybe it's the, the old one revisited, but something is going to tempt us to sin. And we don't look forward to it. We don't enjoy it. It's something that we just want to get through and be done with. And the problem is that while temptation is, again, a terrible, horrible thing, we don't like it, that's good. We often waste the reality that temptation is going to come. And when temptation does come into our lives, into our minds and our hearts, we waste the opportunity that it presents us. And by that, I mean that if we sit there and we only dread temptation, whether we dread it coming, whether we dread, you know, we're in the middle of it and it is tempting us towards something, all we want to do is just survive it. We want to tread water, we want to get through it, and hopefully not let it turn into a sin that Jesus Christ had to die for. But when we do that, all we essentially do is we are looking at the temptation itself. We're looking at a symptom of something and saying, okay, I just need to get through this. I need to distract myself. I need to delay it, avoid it, whatever. And if all we do is survive it, then what's going to end up happening is that 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 same temptation is going to return. And what's going to happen? Well, we have to just try to survive it again. We have to tread water. We have to try to do whatever we can so that that temptation doesn't get too bad. I want to give an example of why thinking about temptation in this way is a problem. Why, when we view temptation itself as the issue and not as a symptom of something or as an opportunity to realize something, we waste any opportunity we have to grow closer to Jesus Christ and deeper in our faith. And the example I want to give is someone who drinks milk or eats cheese knowing very well that they are lactose intolerant. So, what happens? Someone drinks milk 
and they start having digestive issues. And what do they want to do? They just want to get through it. They want the their body to get back to normal. They want to survive whatever problems they're having. Afterwards, they might complain and say, oh, I'm so tired of these issues. I'm so tired of feeling this way. But then the next day, they drink milk again. And then they have issues, and then they survive it. Then they complain, and then they go back to it. And these issues keep coming up. And the problem is that this person is not listening to their body telling them, hey, stop drinking milk or stop eating cheese, which is... In America, I know almost a sin on its own, but stop putting these things into your body. Stop doing stuff that is causing the issues that you are complaining about. Stop putting yourself in a position where this thing that you hate is going to keep coming up. Listen to your body, right? That's what we would tell someone who's having lactose intolerance issues. And temptation is exactly the same way. Because what we do is we live our lives, we think about things, we have desires and goals, We live in a way that leads us to that temptation. We surround ourselves with worldly thinking. We are not as focused on Christ as we know we need to be. We live like the world, and as a result, we are tempted towards the things of the world. And so what do we do? We just try to survive it. We try to just get through it and have as little suffering as possible. Or maybe we give in. And what do we do when we're done? Either we feel relief because, oh, I survived. I got through it. I didn't gossip. I didn't get angry. I didn't look at porn. Or if we gave in, we complain and say, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I keep having the same temptation and giving into the same sin. I'm so tired of it. And so what do we do? We go back to our cup of milk. We go back to living how we were before that temptation came up. And just like that lactose intolerant person, we are not listening to our sin nature. We're not listening to the reality of what's happening in our lives. We just keep trying to survive something that happens because we keep doing the same things over and over and over again. And so what I want us to do when we're thinking about temptation or when we are actually experiencing it is don't just try to survive, but actually listen to it so that you can see that there's more going on than just the temptation itself. And from there, I want us to be able to not dread temptation, but actually find some sense of joy when we are tempted. That sounds weird. You're not supposed to like temptation. It's supposed to be horrible. We can't have joy in terrible circumstances. Au contraire, mon frere, because as we know in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, again, it's good to hate temptation. Because we love God, we're going to naturally hate the things that God hates, those things that are against God or draw us away from him, and that is, of course, sin. So we should hate sin because we love God. But within that, as I've said, we misunderstand temptation. Because we view temptation as something to be survived, or maybe we view it as an obligation. Oh no, I am tempted, therefore I have to do this. I want to get angry, and so I yell. I want to be lazy, and so I don't work. I want to hurt someone, and so I tear them down through gossip or angry words. Whatever the temptation that we have, we think that maybe because it's come up, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. We have no choice. But look at what James says here, that we need to consider it a joy when trials come up. Various trials, all kinds of trials. It can be outside influences against our faith, people you know making us doubt, question, whatever. Maybe it's those trials that are coming from inside in our our desires and temptations that are coming up. 
And this says that we can count it a joy because we know that the testing of our faith, the testing of what we truly believe, the exercise of resisting sin or giving in to sin is going to produce endurance. It's going to produce, some translations say, steadfastness. It's going to produce in us a, a person and a character who can rely on God even more and who is going to be able to resist those temptations even more in the future. And towards the end of this episode, we'll talk about how we do that. But the point of these temptations is to produce endurance in us. And this endurance, this resilience that God grows in us, draws us closer to him and it makes us more like Jesus Christ. And so we need to see this temptation that we struggle with as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, at the end of it, if things go how God desires for them to go, we're going to grow in our spiritual walk. We're going to become more spiritually mature and we're going to be closer to Christ. But how does that happen? How does our desire to look at something, to say something, to do something or not do something, whether it's alcohol, whether it's how we use our words, whether it's just you know watching shows or listening to music or just you know avoiding our Bible reading, how do these temptations produce strength in us? How do they draw us closer to Jesus Christ? Well, ultimately, temptation reveals something that we don't like to admit and we don't like to acknowledge and that we feel like we don't have to even think about until it's right there in our face. And that is the reality that temptation reveals our weakness, how truly weak we are as people, as individuals and just human beings in general who love sin so much. And I want to say that this at its base level is tied to our pride. So our temptation comes as a result of our pride. Now, why do I say that? Pride is, I believe, the root to most of our sin. Most of our sin and most of our temptations can be traced back to prideful thinking of us being so full of ourselves, so in love with ourselves, that it leads us into all kinds of issues. Two ways that we can see this come up is when we have this prideful idea of, I deserve something. I deserve to be happy. I deserve pleasure. I deserve stuff. I deserve to feel good about myself. I deserve a better job or better life circumstances, or just, I deserve to live how I want. And again, like I said earlier, that is a very worldly way of thinking where the world will tell us, yes, you deserve the best things in life. You deserve everything that you desire as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. And so we buy into that and we meld that into our Christian thinking and say, well, I follow God and so I deserve all these good things. And if I don't have them, then even if God tells me no, I'm going to find a way to tell myself that I do deserve it and that I should have whatever it is that I'm desiring, whether it's distraction, whether it's a release from pain through alcohol or drugs or TV or whatever. We believe that because we deserve it, we should have it. And this leads us into our second problem is this prideful thinking of, I know better. So often in the Christian life, we know God's will in any circumstance. Maybe we don't like God's will. Maybe we don't want to acknowledge that God's will is something that isn't going to line up or cause a require a slight change in our plans, but a total redirection. But often we know what God's will is when a temptation comes up. And so what do we do when that happens? If we don't like God's will, we will try to rationalize and say, well, I can't help it, or everyone else does it, or this Christian I know does it. We might excuse it away and say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Or we will just 
ignore God's will and say, I know it's wrong, but you know what? I, I feel like I can't help myself. I want it anyway, and so I'm going to do it. I'm going to have what I want. And so ultimately, our pride leaves us to living however we want. And it's that kind of prideful thinking of saying either I deserve this or I know better than God that leads us into a prideful way of thinking that is going to necessarily draw us away from God. And because we're going away from God, we're going to be tempted towards sin because that is the direction that we are moving in. If we're moving away from God, there's only one other direction that we can move in. And this is where temptation comes from. It's our desires. It's what we want that is tempting us. And it shows how weak we truly are because our hearts are, are driving us so much that we would abandon everything that we know is good and right and true because we emotionally desire something. And so I want to show this just later on in James. This is James 1 verse 14. It says, but each one is tempted. And really listen to this. When are we tempted? When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now really notice what James is saying here. What is it that leads us away? What is it that tempts us towards sin? It's not Satan. It's not our biology. We can't blame our upbringing. We can't blame things like the media or how they portray you know, women or success or lifestyles and things like that. There's no excuse here where we say, oh, well, I just can't help myself. No, what is it that leads us to sin? What is it that tempts us? It's our lust. And I don't want us to get confused with that and think that lust is just a sexual thing because a lust is really just our desire. It's a burning desire to have something and a feeling like we need it. And oftentimes this will be us saying, oh, if I had this thing, then I could be happy. Then I could be satisfied. When we think of it that way, we realize it's not just sexual things. It's money, it's peace, it's rest, it's distraction, whatever. We are all tempted towards our own sins. And what is it that tempts us? It's how we think. It's where our desires are placed. It's what we are lusting after in our sinful hearts. And this is where temptation is so valuable to the Christian life because this is that weakness I was talking about. When I said that temptation reveals our weakness, this is what I mean. Not that we are maybe physically or emotionally not strong enough or we don't have the, you know, an iron willpower, but instead temptation reveals our hearts and it shows how weak our hearts truly are when left to our own devices. It shows what the true desires of our hearts are. Because when we're tempted, what we're saying is that if I had that, I would be happy. If I could do this, if I can act this way, if I can yell and get angry, it'll make me feel better. It'll make me happy. It'll make things better even for a moment. Even if I know the end result is going to be worse for me, in this moment, I am tempted towards this because right now I feel like this would make me happy. This would give me what I need. It would make me feel better. And what does that show us? That shows us our idolatry. We've talked in the past on this show that idolatry isn't just praying to carved idols, but it's replacing God with anything and finding satisfaction in something other than God. It also reveals our doubt. It shows how weak we are and that we can doubt and say, I know God doesn't want me to yell at my kids. I know he doesn't want me to steal. I know he doesn't want me to gossip, to look at this, to waste my time like I am, to get drunk, to get wasted. I know God doesn't want me to, but I just, I doubt him. I don't think that he's as true as he says. I don't think he knows me. I don't think he understands that 
I am special, I am unique, and I need this. And that sounds ridiculous when we listen to it in kind of this, you know, clean environment. But really, how often are we in that situation? We say, I know God doesn't want this, but I don't believe him. I don't believe that resisting this to not giving into this will bring me happiness. I truly believe that I need to give into this temptation to be happy. And I know we do that because we give into the temptation. The only reason we give into temptation is because we are convinced that it's going to give us something good that we desire, even for a moment, even though the fallout of it might be horrible and we know that it's going to be disastrous for us, in that moment, we believe that it's going to give us something good. And ultimately, what this reveals in our weakness is that we are giving into worldly thinking. Because, as I said, the rest of the world tells us, you deserve things, you, you need to be happy, you need stuff to, to fill you up and to fill that hole you feel in yourself. And that is what that weakness that our temptation reveals in us. It shows us just how broken and how in love with sin we truly are. But the important thing to realize is that temptation itself is not sin. It is not sinful to be tempted because while temptation may come from a sinful way of thinking, the temptation itself, desiring something, is not in and of itself sinful. However, what we need to say is, okay, when we leave it alone... What happens? Where does that temptation lead if we don't do something about it? If we dwell on it, if we don't maybe even just kill it outright and completely remove whatever it is that tempts us? What happens? Where is our temptation inevitably going to lead? Well, if we just continue on in James, just the next verse, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then lust, and remember, lust is that desire. Then lust has, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's accomplished, brings forth death. So what do we do when we leave our desires unchecked, when that same temptation keeps coming up over and over again? Because I talked earlier, I used that example of someone who's lactose intolerant and how without changes, without identifying what our hearts are telling us, that temptation is going to keep coming up over and over again. Well, what happens when lust or desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. So inevitably, in the short term, the more that temptation comes up without us doing something about it, and we haven't talked about what that is yet, but without something happening, without some kind of radical intervention, we can be strong enough for a time. We can resist for a time, but inevitably, we are going to give in to our temptations. Why? Because that is the end result. When we dwell on it, when we harbor it, when we let it live and breed within our hearts, even if we leave it on life support, the reality is that we are still giving life to our temptation. And eventually that temptation is going to grow to sin. And that sin is going to lead to some kind of death. And now an important thing to realize here when we're trying to identify what this means, and as maybe you're sitting there reflecting on your own temptations right now, is that the sin that we commit isn't always connected to our desires. In other words, for some people, they may their sin may be greed, and so they may act greedy. You know, that's a very clear-cut, obvious way that sin or that temptation leads to sin. But sometimes we will sin in ways that aren't necessarily connected to the desires that are in our heart. So let me just give some examples here. So as parents, we may yell at our kids. Now, sometimes it may be because we are actually angry at them for something that they have done. But often we'll reflect and think about it and say, 
that was stupid. Why would I get so angry at that? That wasn't that big of a deal. And maybe they didn't even do anything wrong. Maybe they just left their their shoes slightly turned or they didn't hang up their coats properly and we just blew up at them. You know, where does that come from? Well, this is where I talk about how it's not always connected because we may be yelling at our kids and our sin and the thing that may, we may need to repent of is the anger, but it can come from us coming home and being bitter about our jobs. Or we might be worried about the state of the world, or maybe someone made us angry or embarrassed or insulted online or actually in person. And so we take those sinful desires we have to be respected, to be happy, to make more money, to live in peace in the world, and we will manifest it out in a desire to hurt our kids with our words and our anger. Another example is drugs and alcohol. You know, we may be tempted to fill ourselves up with these these mind-altering things. And why? Well, usually it has something to do with being worried about money, being worried about relationships, having a a desire to just pass away the time because we don't know what to do with ourselves. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we're tempted towards substances. And very rarely is it because the substance itself is our need, but that we have a desire to feel good in some way in our lives. And that seems to offer us the relief we want. Uh, final example is gossiping or tearing others down. Often this will come from someone not feeling fulfilled in their life. They may not have the things that they want, so they need to tear down others who do have good things so that they can feel better. And so our desires will manifest themselves, and sin is always the result of our desires manifesting. But when we're trying to identify it, an important thing to realize is that it's not always this very clear one-to-one -one thing where I got angry because this person insulted me or things like that. Uh, but then James also says that long-term, this sin is going to lead us to a kind of death. Now, we're not going to get in too nitty-gritty into what that can mean, but two ways to, to think about it that James could be referring here is there could be a spiritual apathy that comes. In other words, being so deadened, you know, like someone whose nerves are dead and they can't feel anything. They can't respond to the stimulus of their world around them because they can't literally feel. It could be that kind of spiritual apathy or a spiritual numbness where we are basically just dead in terms of how we relate to God and how we engage with the world. It could also be that there is a literal death that comes and that God will mercifully remove us because we are just so bent towards sin that we are not serving him in this life. And so it's better to be with him where there is no sin. But the bottom line to all of that is that our temptation leads to sin and our temptation reveals our weakness. Now, if you're on board with me so far, the obvious question is, all right, what do I do with my weakness? Because I've already talked about how it's not about us having, you know, this iron resolve, this strong will, this strength to just overcome it ourselves. So what do we do with it? Well, 2 Corinthians 12.9 gives us a good insight into what to do when we recognize our weakness. It says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So think of it this way. When we are strong enough to resist, when we set up programs in our lives, when we just keep fighting and have the strength to overcome it, who gets the glory? We do. 
because we were the ones strong enough to say no. But when we rely on Jesus Christ, when we recognize our weakness and don't try to shore up our weakness, but embrace Christ and turn to Christ because we know that we are constantly and unendingly weak without him, then who gets the glory in that case? Well, obviously, it's going to be Jesus Christ because he is the one who, if we are resisting, it's not through our own efforts or our own strength, but purely through Jesus Christ. And so in that way, our weakness shows his strength. And therefore, temptation is an opportunity to show the strength of Christ in our lives. Because the power of Christ is going to dwell in us when we not just realize our weakness, but turn to him because of it. And so another way to think about it is that temptation requires 100% of strength to resist. In other words, temptation has to be fully resisted. There has to be 100% of some kind of effort put into saying no to what we want, to resisting our urges, to resisting what we may think is our natural desires. It requires all effort to resist it. Now, if we say that 100% of our ability to resist sin comes from Jesus Christ, that means that it is 0% our own effort. Now, obviously, we don't just sit there and lay back and keep surrounding ourselves with worldly things and worldly thinking and just say, all right, Christ, go fight my battles for me. No, because Christ is going to change our desires as we recognize our weakness. But when we realize that any ability to resist sin and truly resist sin, to kill it in our lives, when we realize that is 100% from Christ, that means that it has to be 0% from us. But if we are relying on our own efforts, even a little bit, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm weak here, and so I need Christ to help me in this part, but I can, I can do most of it, I can do some of it on my own, but I need some of Christ as well then ultimately what we're doing is we're leaving part of Christ's strength and his redeeming power on the table. We're just leaving it behind and saying, I can do part of this, Christ, you do part of it, and we'll kind of go hand in hand. But why would we ever think that our power can substitute or supplement the power of Christ in our lives? Instead, we need to think of it as we know we're weak because we've been living our whole lives in weakness and giving into sin. And the more we draw closer to Christ, the more we realize how weak we are and how easily tempted we are. So why would we ever turn back and say, it was purely through the power of Christ that I am saved, but now it's going to be through the power of Christ and me that I'm going to fight sin in my life now. No, it has to be purely Christ that rescues us from temptation, that kills temptation in our lives, and especially who gives us the desire and motivation and strength to kill the things in our lives that are leading us to that temptation, whether it's the friends we have, the music we listen to, the shows we watch, just the general desires that we have in our lives. It has to be Christ who changes those in us. But what we have to talk about then is why. Why Christ? Why is am I putting so much emphasis on him and him alone to rescue us, to pull us out of our sin, and to make us resist temptation towards sin in our lives. Well, there's three reasons that I'd like to share as I kind of, I say wrap this up, but this is not going to be a a quick two-minute thing, but three things I'd like to share. One reason that we turn to Christ is because Christ understands. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So Christ has already experienced temptation in his life. Maybe not the very specific temptations we have, like to pull out a smartphone and go to a specific website and look at things. 
But Christ understands the base levels of temptations that we face, whether it's our pride, whether it's our need for power or respect. Christ has been tempted with those things, yet he never gave into it. And so we can turn to him and rely on him knowing that he has already had victory over temptation. Another reason that we turn to Christ is that it's just a part of our faith. Part of having faith in Jesus Christ is relying on him in the areas that we are called to rely on him for. So Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek them." him. So faith and our resisting of temptation go hand in hand. We can't resist temptation without faith. And it's only through faith that we can resist temptation. And if we have faith in God, then the expectation and the need is for us to say no to sin in our lives. And that is because of the last thing I want to talk about here, and that is that Christ has already conquered our need to sin so that any sin that we commit in our lives is purely through our choice. It is a rejection of what Christ has done and an embrace of our own desires and our own will over the will of God. So let's just really break this down about what it means that Christ has conquered sin and therefore he has conquered our need to sin. So first we know that Christ has conquered sin's penalty, right? When we stand before God in judgment, we know that our names will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So our guilt of sin has already been nailed to the cross. So any need that we have to perform for God in order to earn or maintain our salvation is, is done. We can do absolutely nothing to earn or keep our salvation because any sin that we've committed, any guilt that we have, anything about the law that is, accuses us of being transgressors of God's law has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. It has died with him. So we know that we are free from the penalty of sin and that even if we give in to sin, we know that we have forgiveness and that can bring us great comfort. But knowing that, how then do we live with Christ's power? How can Christ's power be magnified and glorified in how we live our lives or in how we turn to him? Well, for that, I want us to go to Romans chapter 6. So, as always, I would recommend reading this entire chapter, but for sake of time, I'm just going to hit the highlights of what I want to point out for this discussion. So, verses 1 to 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So, first part of that verse should cover any confusion that there may be on maybe me saying that because temptation draws us to Christ, we should somehow chase temptation or or present ourselves in situations where we're tempted towards sin. No, 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 don't do that. Because... We're not going to just sin so that God's grace can be more magnified in us. There's plenty about our lives when we're fully devoted to Christ where God's grace is still magnified. We don't need to help him out by chasing sin. But the last thing that I want to point out in this passage, which says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer to that should be we can't. That's the assumption in the question being asked. And so what this means is that God has an expectation that we don't need to ever 
give in to our sin. And this is where we start seeing how it is that we rely on Christ and why it is that we rely on Christ when it comes to our sin. So if we jump ahead to verses 6 and 7 here, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So Christ has conquered sin, not just our penalty of sin, but our obligation to give in to sin. We no longer have to live like the world does because without Christ, people have to sin. They have absolutely no choice. That's why God's word says that no one can please him. No one can earn their salvation because all we can do is be bent towards sin. But with Jesus Christ, we have a choice. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer our master where we must obey sin's desires. Instead, we have another way. And we're going to see that in verses 12 to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So Christ gives us the choice. We can live our way. We can live like those who are already slaves to sin, but we know that temptation is going to come. Wherever we're setting our hearts, our desires, however we spend our time, wherever our money is going, wherever we focus on our free time, the places that we spend that focus, the places where our time or money goes shows us what we're desiring. And so when that temptation comes, we can look back and say, what have I been investing in? Where have I been putting my focus and my desires and my time and my efforts? You know, because let's face the reality. Five minutes reading a few Bible verses a day does nothing when the rest of our lives look very little different from a very moral person in the world. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us if we live our lives like the world that we are going to be tempted to do other things like the world. We've already been living in sin It's just that now we're noticing a desire to live in sin. But instead, we have other choices. Because temptation ultimately is our last opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ before we sin. And so we don't have to sin. We don't have to give in. We can always choose God. Because of what Christ did on the cross, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, we can always make that choice. Sin, like it says in verse 14, sin has no dominion over us because we're not under the law. It's because of God's grace through Christ that we can choose to live a life that pleases God. And therefore, even if we're not perfect and therefore temptation is always going to come up because we've been so focused on moving towards God, that temptation is going to be easily given over to Jesus Christ because we've already spent the bulk of our day giving everything else over to Jesus Christ. So what is one more part of our lives? And that is what it means to live for Christ and to rely on Christ's strength. It's to invest and to spend all that time and to have our days and our lives so focused on him that the temptation to sin is weird. But when we live the opposite, when we live like the world, when we live according to our desires and constantly just focusing on our fun, on our hobbies, on our jobs, on just doing things how we think is right, then sin's just another drop in the bucket. It may be more noticeable. There may be a sin that we especially hate and don't want to give in to, but it shouldn't surprise us when we've already been giving in to our sinful desires 
the majority of our day as it is. And so let's just wrap this up with uh, the last bit of this passage. This is verses 16 to 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So, brother and sister in Christ, if you want to be a slave to sin, then continue living like God's enemies. Keep thinking like them, keep pursuing their desires, and keep surrendering to sin. Even if you don't realize you're surrendering to sin, look at your life and recognize that if it's not being done for God's glory, it's being done for our glory. And therefore, it's being done in our pride, and therefore, it's being done in sin and surrendering to sin. But if we want to be a slave of righteousness, then we need to live a life that is pleasing to God, that is opposite of how his enemies would live. Instead of thinking like the world, we need to put on the mind of Christ. Instead of pursuing our desires, we pursue God's will. And therefore, instead of surrendering to sin, we are going to surrender to Christ. Because it's only by surrendering to Christ that we can resist temptation. Because what is surrendering to Christ except loving God more than ourselves? And so logically, it's only by loving God more than ourselves that we can even care about resisting temptation. It's only by loving God more than ourselves that we can believe what he says about our sin, about who Jesus Christ is and who we are. But it's when we doubt God and when we live for ourselves that that temptation is going to be even more desirable and that we're going to fall into it even more often because we don't care enough about God to resist that temptation. We care more about ourselves, more about our desires, our needs, our wants. And so to wrap this up, when temptation comes up, we need to flee from it. We need to hate it. We can't believe our hearts when it lies to us and says that giving in will finally make us happy. It'll finally bring us satisfaction. It will give us what we want, even for a moment. But at the same time, let's not waste our temptation by just trying to survive it and treading water and just getting through it, hopefully as sin-free as we can manage. Instead, let's let our temptation reveal areas where we are not living in God's will, where our hearts and desires are set on something other than Jesus Christ. When we realize that weakness and we realize that sinfulness and that lack of faith and trust in God, then don't resist the temptation under our own strength. But instead, let our temptation draw us away from our own desires, our own way of thinking, and our own pride, and let it instead draw us into the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 